0: Well, friends, this, uh, this day we're blessed to have with us Nick and Diane Wagenhofer, uh, and I've got this wonderful book in front of me here of the story of their daughter, Krista. Um, and the theme that we're diving into today as we look at Genesis 6-9 through nine is God's value that he places on life, and life is full of ups and downs, as many of you know. And Nick and Diane, as parents, uh, this book is the telling of the story of their daughter's battle with cancer. And, of course, Krista passed away a few years ago, and I can't imagine what it's like, Nick and Diane, to have lost a daughter, a child. Um, and I wonder if you could just share a bit of the story of uh, walking that journey.
1: Sure. Um, our marriage was blessed with two children, two girls. And, uh, of course, they were, grew up as per normal kids' But in, in 2008, Diane and I retired, and we moved back to Kelowna, where... From where? W- f- well, we were in Hong Kong okay. 11 okay. years prior to that. Okay, wow. So we moved here, and we were, the, for the first time, uh, within driving distance of our family, which was nice. We hadn't been that way for a, a number of years. Um, on a holiday, well, I shouldn't call it a holiday, we were actually on a short missions trip to Vietnam in 2013 and uh, while we were there we were on a holiday in Dalat, lot their new year and received an uh, email from Krista to say that we should contact her rather sooner than later mm-hmm. and she had found out that she had cancer diagnosed with fourth stage terminal cancer um, that was a shock to us to say the least now Javat and Krista just had their first child, Matthias, who was six months old at that time. Um, Krista, as a kid, had always had a soft heart for overseas missions, and uh, so she had done a number of short-term um, missionary-type services. In, in as uh, she grew up, and um, at one stage, she then became a, what you might call a full-time missionary. She joined a medical missions team wow. uh, to uh, the Balkans. Was she a nurse? She was a nurse. Yeah, she was okay. an RN. She had gone to Trinity and then on to... The com- she completed nursing the training there. Wow. Now, she met and married Javat while there. Um, when we heard of Krista's predicament, Diane left immediately from Vietnam to go back to help, and I waited a while to to wrap up my responsibilities there. Now, it was quite uh, devastating to see the changes of a healthy, young, vibrant mother of a newly born child, and then to slowly see her uh, become disfigured and eventually die from the cancer that she had. I had the privilege of... Um, driving her to many of her medical appointments mm. and uh, some of my emotional experiences were really heightened At the time i had to get her a walker which seemed so wrong hmm. and also when i had to cut her hair
0: yeah wow,
1: because she was losing them
0: yeah wow i can only imagine how t- like thinking of being a dad at the stage of life I am, it's like you don't ever anticipate that you'll be the one living through that piece of it. And Diane, what did you find is, what did you find and learn was necessary for you as a, as a couple to survive this? What have you learned along the way?
2: I, I think from my own experience, as we talked about since we've been asked to do this, it wasn't what I did because I it was daily survival for me. I came back and I became like a, a mother again of a 30-year-old. I did night feedings because she had to uh, mm-hmm. go off breastfeeding because of her chemo, and uh, I changed diapers and I looked after a baby uh, at my age of what a 60. I oh, forget you were what still young. But anyways, I became a young mother again suddenly. So uh-huh. it became a daily survival actually. And um, I would attribute to our going through it the way we did not based upon me, but because of other people. Hmm. And um, I think firstly what made our journey in life easier was the fact that Krista had such a a positive, absolute faith in God. She never doubted him, she never questioned. I'm sure she did at times, but overall, she was a positive patient. Mm. And and through this book that Phil was talking about, she was able to carry on her missionary journey by writing her experiences, her ups and downs of life, and her sister encouraged her to do that. And uh, through it, she ministered to others, and also they ministered to her by praying for her. And then secondly, I think... She definitely had joy in suffering. We celebrated everything. We've always been a party family. <laughs> Maybe not my husband, but I certainly <laughs> am. And and uh, we celebrated everything from uh, chemo treatment endings, which she had several bu- uh, rounds yeah. of it, to radiation treatments, which she had a couple rounds, um, to birthdays, to Javat becoming a Canadian citizen, to... Um, um, yeah, anyways uh, families we did three family trips together and we did christmas in a big way as we always do mm-hmm. and and uh, celebrating was a big thing to her and she requested her grave marker read celebrating in heaven wow. which it says wow. and that we trust she's doing wow yeah Secondly, I think I would say uh, the experience wasn't through my strength alone. We bonded in a big way as a family. Uh, Javat was a phenomenally strong husband that helped her to the very end. Yes.
0: Yeah, so it brought you closer together. Yes. Wow.
2: And Nicole, with uh, our oldest daughter's a physician assistant, and she, anytime there was anything needed, and in times when we needed to recuperate in Kelowna. She was down helping, and her husband and the two younger kids who were in their early teens, um, they held fort on their own without a mom and the, uh, the younger sister. Wow, so it was as like she- a family effort. Exactly, yeah, exactly.
0: A community effort.
2: Yes, so that was the second thing. The third thing were, and not in this necessary significance, but were our churches. And Krista's church in uh, Cloverdale, or in Surrey, what is it called, Cloverdale, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. yes, it was um, phenomenal. Yeah. Of course, she'd actually been very active in the church, so she was well-known and it's far too young to see somebody suffer like that. So they backed her with meals and with Mm -hmm. everything you can imagine you know, in support, and I always joked at the time, if I ever get very sick, I'm going to join this church. (laughs) (laughs) But, but... Well, that's
0: a strong testimony to the type of people they were, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah.
2: And our church friends here, we belonged to two life groups at the time, and they did the same for us Mm. at this end. We had people that um, supported us, well, all of them in prayer, but we had people that came and And uh, helped us with their yard work while we are gone and left the house vacant. We had others who invited us for meals when we got back to recoup. And um, one couple from the church here actually drove my meds down to Vancouver when I had an extended stay and I had run out of my medications. And uh, so to you, I offer... A big thank you. Wow. A big thank you. So A I church think, is
0: important. Yeah. So I'm hearing like these themes of like there's pain. Like it's and and because you love like you love Krista, you know, that pain is still there. It's real, Absolutely. right? Like it's it's not diminished. And at the same time you have these celebrations of life in the midst of the mourning and disappointment and And i just think you know as you know people are watching today and thinking everybody's going to face different trials and things and hopefully not exactly like you have but you don't know right and uh i wonder like i wonder if we could pray together maybe us here but pray with uh, our church family for those who are uh, struggling, facing disappointment. Maybe there's news that's been received and it's painful and dis- and challenging and don't know what lies ahead. But in this journey of life that has all these ups and downs, which you described, um, we need each other. We need to celebrate. We need to mourn. And we need people who walk with us through that. And mm-hmm. thanks for being so vulnerable today. And uh, And church, let's pray. Can we pray together and ask God to reach out to us and meet meet us in our need. Lord, thank you for your abundant goodness that you love life, you value it, and uh, just recognize that you also mourn with us. You are, Jesus, when you came to your friend Lazarus's tomb, you wept. Uh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we recognize that and recognize that there's those living with that right now and are who are watching this and part of our family so lord meet us and comfort us and thank you for this word as well of celebration that in the midst of even the darkest things there's opportunity and need to celebrate and to see who we're with and what's around us and lord help us to be a church family of life and hope for one another open our eyes to one another and make us vessels of your blessing we pray in jesus name amen
2: Genesis 9, verse 8 to 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood, Never again will there be a
3: flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have sent my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth.
0: Well, thank you, Megan and Jessica, for reading God's word for us this morning, the story of the flood that we're about to dive into. Before we do that, just a couple of quick notes. One, has God been working in your life? Have you given your life to Jesus and it's time to declare that in baptism? Well, we're uh, looking forward to celebrating baptism as a church family in this COVID year uh, toward the end of November. So if God has moved in your life, you want to celebrate that in baptism, please reach out to us, office at at kgfchurch.com, and we'll start walking with you in that direction. And communion. We're going to move Communion to the last Sunday of the month October, uh, beginning this in a, on October the 25th. Uh, so we we'll hope in your hub, your life group, where you are, you'll be able to celebrate that as a family. But we also have another option that we're beginning uh, next Sunday the 25th, which is an in-person uh, Communion time with others. So between 4 and 5 p.m. on Sunday, October 25th, you can come by the church building, and you'll be placed into a small group of people, and we'll just spend a few minutes celebrating the Lord's table together. And with myself uh, and some board members, we'll center us together in communion. So if you want that kind of connection, if you don't have it in a hub or a life group, we'd invite you to that next Sunday. There'll be more information on that in our newsletter next week. Well, uh, we're heading our way toward a question this morning, which is this. If God is for life, what does that require of us? If God is for life, what does that require of us? Now, kids, hopefully you have a piece of paper on the go and ready to go, and you'll see this amazing artwork that I have done. Yeah, I know you can do better, kids, and I'm expecting that you will. Adults, if you wanna join in, you can. Wondering if you could draw something like this, and you can probably tell already that's a rainbow, over here, it's kind of, well, it's kind of meant to be a little bit of an explosion, but you can make something like that, and then draw what this thing is on the other side, if you can maybe figure that out. Uh, draw it out, and then as the message is uh, moving along here, begin to color it. Color it, make it something, uh, create, create it into a beautiful piece of art, and then in a little later on, we're going to add some words to it, which you can pay attention to. Here's a question to get us started. Do promises have best before dates? Do promises have best before dates? At the beginning of October, a new ring road was opened in Calgary. There had been much consultation between governments and residents and uh, First Nations peoples, even celebrated by Chief Roy Whitney. And the opening ceremony came, and it was interrupted by 26-year-old Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse. He movingly addressed his family's pain at losing their generational land to this road. His primary issue was that an 1880s treaty... A promise of how peoples would live together had not been honored in the development of this project. His family's pain was linked to what he felt was a promise with a best-before date. Have you experienced the breaking of a promise? Why do we break promises? In 1944, during World War II, a 20-year-old American Marine named Marvin Strombo came across a dead Japanese soldier during the Battle of Saipan. He noticed a Japanese flag marked with writing, tucked in the dead man's pocket, and he was clutching it. Marvin took it, and he made a promise that he would return it. Seventy-three years later, in 2017, at the age of 93, Marvin traveled to visit the mother and siblings of that fallen soldier, and Marvin kept his promise. Those, Those who were once enemies now wept together and spoke of what promises, without a best before date, can bring to the world. That flag had been marked, you know, those markings that were on the flag. They were the well-wishers, well-wishes of that soldier's community as he left and yet never returned from the horrors of war. Marvin retold the moment this way, that moment 73 years earlier. I could see the corner of the flag folded up against his heart. As I reached for it, my body didn't let me grab it at first. But I knew if I left that there, someone else might come and take it. That flag could be lost forever. I made myself promise him that one day I would give back the flag. Now, what's amazing is that 20-year-old Marvin, in the darkness of war, made a promise and then he kept it. Do promises have best before dates? We have it in us to keep promises. Where does that promise keeping come from? Now, promises broken are bad news. We've all experienced this. We can empathize with Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse and his pain. There's another war right now raging between Armenia and Azerbaijan. A brokered ceasefire was to take effect on the morning of October the 10th, not many days ago. Within minutes of that truce taking effect, both sides accuse the other of breaking it. We're in the middle of a provincial election. And you should vote, by the way. Promises in elections get thrown around like snowballs in the playground after the first snowfall. And sadly, we actually expect that the promises of elections are usually broken and melt like those snowballs do. We've all experienced the bad news of broken promises in a relationship, in a business deal. At the end of the day, when your wife asks if you did that thing you said you'd do, and of course, that's hypothetical, of course. It's never happened in our, 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 okay. be sorry, dear. I know it's happened. But promises can get broken, and it creates pain and difficulty. But promises are also key to life's good news. We get inspired by stories like Marvin Strombo's, don't we? I do. And we get inspired by the couple who keep their wedding promises for 70 years. And we are going to celebrate baptisms later this fall. The promises of baptism are inspiring, and we're gonna cheer the commitments to follow Jesus. But we know that keeping promises isn't easy, it's not cheap, it can be very hard. See, promises matter. We look for them to anchor us, and when they are broken, they are bad news. We are made in God's image to embody who God is in the world. Human beings, have you ever thought of this, that human beings, unlike any other thing on the planet, have the capacity to say a word and keep it. And we love and trust those who keep a promise. The Bible reveals that keeping promises is what God does. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. This is good news. By the end of Genesis chapter 5, and Pastor Levi led us into the story of Cain and Abel in chapter 4 last week, and when we come to the end of Genesis chapter 5, the world is both broken because of sin and given hope like the light at the end of the tunnel. The family line of Seth in chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, introduce us to Seth, who is born to Cain and Abel after the death, or sorry, born to Adam and Eve after the death of Abel. And this family line of Seth, which Genesis chapter 5 tells the family line of Seth, the replacement of Abel, provides hope in the midst of human brokenness, sin, and mess, after the fall in Genesis 3. Take a look at this picture. This is an art display in France, and it tells a tale, this tale, in powerful ways. This 1878 sculpture called The First Funeral by Louis-Ernest Berias captures vividly the, the pain of Adam and Eve. They hold Abel and embrace the pain of brokenness. You can just see it. What a wonderful piece of art. But in the background, strategically placed over the soldiers of our grieving first parents, is Jesus carrying his cross in Gustav Doré's 1883 artwork, Veil of Tears. The museum summarizes the display this way. The suffering humanity turns towards the figure of the Redeemer Christ carrying his cross. The crowds throng to these steep slopes, sovereigns and beggars, children and the elderly men and women. Jesus invites everyone on the broken planet to follow him in light of the promises of God to save and ultimately wipe away every tear from Adam and Eve on. But to understand this good news, we need a reminder of the full weight of the mess and the full power of promise. Which brings us to the story which begins in Genesis chapter 6, the story of the flood, which we normally refer to as Noah and the... Yeah, say it out loud, come on, Noah and the... Okay, all the popular images, they show a happy Noah and his wife tending a teeming vessel of lions and monkeys and giraffes and snails. They're always so cute. And everyone and everything is getting famously along on the ark. And it's an iconic image and mostly misses the point. Because Genesis 6-9 to is really about Noah and the promise. At the close of Genesis chapter 5, Lamech, one of the descendants of Seth, has a son. And he names him Noah, which means rest. And he names him that in hope that Noah will bring comfort from life's painful toil and brokenness. Hopefully, Lamech is saying, the next generation gets it right. Now, the line of Seth carries God's shalom blessing east of Eden after the pain of Cain murdering Abel. But how would Lamech's hope be realized? And I'm guessing Lamech had no idea it would involve an ark. Now, particularly when Genesis 6, verses 1 to 7, describes a battlefield-like image of life on broken earth. Genesis 6, verse 3 says, God says, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they're mortal. We have a best before date on us, each and every one of us. We will not live forever. And then verses 5 to 7 say this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You notice the emphasis? How great the wickedness. Every inclination of the heart was only evil all the time. The image of God is marred. The flame of blessing that we're uh, we're created to carry is faint. And the Lord even wonders if life is worth it. The Lord regrets making us. What a crazy thought. Look at verses 6 to 7. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created. And with them, the animals, birds, creatures that move on the ground. Oh, I regret that I've made them. What a troubling couple verses. Noah and the promise, don't you see, is not... A cute child's tale, it is us before the Supreme Court. What will become of us when our sin is full grown and our deep darkness stands judged? Think about this as the great conundrum of existence. Does the brokenness of sin mean God will reject what he has made or his purposes for his creation? Will the lie, will the mess, will death rule? And more close to home, will God reject you? Will he reject me? Are we beyond hope? Are we beyond saving? It's a strange word, a couple words. God regretted. It's a complicated thought. The Hebrew word regret, nakam speaks of breathing strongly, of of panting, of of feeling the moment that moves one to action and it's rooted in pity. It's what Martin Strombo was doing when he saw that flag gripped in a dead man's hands. It's a pause of consideration. What what should I do? God has a moment. In verse 6, he has a moment of deeply troubled, pained, grieved reflection, and it leads to action. Like that time you considered something deeply, you felt how it was, and then you found your resolve, and you got up and you did the right thing. That's what's happening in God. And we should be thankful that a holy, just God has it, Because if God is like the random, selfish, wrathful gods of human creation or the destructive forces of evil, then all hope is lost. If life hinges on rejection and randomness, then we're right to be a hopeless, murdering horde getting whatever we want before the breath slips from us and we return to the dust from whence we came. If the mess and the death rule, then survival of the fittest is all that remains, but If God is eternal and sovereign, if God is merciful and ultimately good, if the bad news does not rule, if truth and life and good news is possible, that opens up a whole new world. If God refuses to reject his purposes, and even those who reject him, then we can't fall far enough from the reach of his promises. We may reject God, but God will not reject himself or his loving goodness. God will make a way where there seems to be no way and invite us to come back to him. And this is ultimately good news. And God must mourn what has been lost by humanity's rejection of his goodness because God is love. And the old rock and roll band Nazareth had it right. Love hurts. Love hurts, but precisely because God is good and blesser, God reveals the power of promise. He remains true to his nature and to his word. At the end of Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, you get the sense that even Seth's line is in trouble. The world stands rightly judged by God. Excuse me. Everything is broken. But look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's not that Noah is unbroken. He has our disease. But Noah lived a life of friendship with God. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verses 8 and 9 sets up the flood story. Noah is different because his life revealed that he walked with God. Death will not rule because God is good. And God's shalom depends on someone walking with this good God. Noah was not righteous because he built an ark. He built an ark because he walked with God. Even when surrounded by utter brokenness, corruption, and violence. You will never be declared right with God because you did great things, even in his name. Jesus will come in Matthew chapter 7 and say, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says, look what I did in your name, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What will matter is that you are known by God, that you live in trusting friendship with him. You see, the issue is not your great works. It's whether God knows you. Are you walking with him? Noah caught God's eye, not because he could follow a blueprint or because he had animal magnetism, but because he was a friend of God. And the future of humanity at the, in Genesis chapter 6 flows from this friendship. Friendship. Now, we're not going to get down into all the details of the flood story. There's lots that happens between chapter 6 and chapter 9. And there's animals aplenty, of course. But we're going to pull out a few key statements to help us catch the big picture of promise. Look at verses 11 to 13. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. We need to understand something, that God opposes violence and the corruption we cause. (sighs) Yeah, like, actually, a holy hush should fall when we hear those words. God is so for life and blessing and wholeness that he actively opposes that which is is the corruption of blessing and opposed to those purposes that come from his heart. We may wonder, is God mean in this? And sometimes that's what we do. But why do we never wonder why we're so mean the bad news has never been God's fault, yet we blame him and we blame others. Have you noticed the pile of corruption and violence in 2020? Broken humanity creates corruption and violence, which God never intended. God had his deep breath moment. Whew. And he now throws himself headlong into fighting for truth and life and the opposition of corruption and violence. That God is a judge of wickedness, corruption, and violence is good news in this broken world. And it's bad news only if you're a participant in wickedness. Secondly, and we jump ahead to chapter 8, verse 1, this Wonderful little line. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals in the ark. God remembers us even when the stink is strong. Genesis 7 is all about the bobbing on the water and all that's happened and the trouble that's gone on. But God remembers. Five months bobbing on the water can leave you wondering, what on earth is going on? Everything just smells like sheep. Have you smelled it? Noah and his family are in the stink of it, but God remembered them. God may send us into something. In verse chapter 7, verse 1, God said, Go into the ark. He may let us wonder where he is for a while. His acts may confuse us, but God remembers. The hardest part of friendship with God is waiting. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, said Isaiah 40 31. God remembers Noah and all the animals. God remembers all that he has blessed to be about life. He doesn't forget. And then verse 15, we discover the next stage. God says to Noah, come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and their wives. Come out of the ark. Now listen, if the story was really about Noah and the ark, well, then now the story's over. But this is not about the ark. The ark is a lifeboat, but the real issue is life, not the boat. Human beings rarely voluntarily leave arks that we build. (laughs) We easily forget that the ark was never the point. We turn the ark into an idol, but the Lord commands Noah and his family, get out of there. And why? In verse 17, it's very clear. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, animals, all these things, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. Live the original good blessing mandate of Genesis chapter one. God is not into building arks. He'll command them, He'll use them, and He will let them rot when the time comes. He does this in Scripture many times, He does it to the tabernacle, to the temple the Ark of the Covenant. He even does this to a cross and an empty tomb. There are signs, these are signs of greater realities. God's purpose is life, blessing, sending, going. God does this, it comes from his heart. And Jesus will come in his, and say, go and make disciples of all nations. Flood them with life, baptize them in the family name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We must think and live outside the ark, for the world needs good news. And then we move to chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons, the beginning of chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. They've left the ark as worshipers. In verse 20 of chapter 8, they come out of the ark, and the first thing Noah does is build an altar to worship. And God then reasserts the blessing mandate. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. God elevates the value of life because bad news will not rule. Now, what's really fascinating in verses 5 and 6 is that an accounting for life taken must be practiced. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being, says God. Every culture does this. To take a life is serious, serious business. The highest testimony of human brokenness is the taking of another life. One of the great marks of biblical faith and an understanding of this God who has revealed himself is the value of human life, from the unborn to the immobilized, from special needs to even the life of your enemy. As for you, says God in verse 7, as for you, as for you, be fruitful. Multiply. Be about life. As for those who are my friends, get busy with life. And then we come to verses 9 and 10. I now establish my covenant with you and with every living creature. Finally comes the promise. God establishes the first covenant of Scripture. This is the first promise in Scripture that God will keep, even if we don't keep our end of the bargain. Bad news will not rule. God rules, and he makes promises true to his nature and his purposes that can be trusted. And this promise is for, says God in verses 9 and 10. It's for Noah who walked with God. God says it's for Noah's descendants. And who are they? There's nobody else, it would appear. The promise is for all who will be born of Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. From this point on, Genesis chapter 10 will tell these family lines. The promise is for all peoples on earth in other words this covenant promise is for you even the one you don't think deserves it has this promise over their lives for every living creature is the promise in 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 chapter 9 verses 9 and 10. and then and then we come to the rainbow we come to this rainbow where god has made a promise to everyone and to everything that he will be for life. Whatever it takes to restore life to the full is what God will do. God is feverishly for life. And Jesus will come saying, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full, what it's entirely meant to be, not even death, will destroy the promise. Jesus comes and he fulfills the promise of God and he conquers death and he rises from the dead. The rainbow you see, and here's where we're going to fill in some words, the rainbow extends from the brokenness of humanity and the brokenness of the world all the way to the resurrection. This is what God is about. This is what he has come to do. God's promises extend this far. That promise of the rainbow is a promise sign, a promise, a sign that God will keep his promises to the entire earth, to the entire world. He is the resurrection and the life, said Jesus. Those who believe in him will Never die. God's made a promise, and He's longing for a people, for a family who will walk with Him and obey His purposes for His glory until Jesus comes again and restores all things. The time has come, Jesus will say. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So, from the brokenness of the world, to the fulfillment of the resurrection, this rainbow hangs as an umbrella over the earth that God has made a promise that is for life to every living thing, to you. And God will keep his promise. Everyone we meet, everyone we meet is a carrier of this promise, even if they don't know it yet. Every corner of this planet has this promise hovering over it. Even where bombs fly and promises are broken, they just might not know it yet. There's nowhere you can go in this world beset by the bad news of corruption and violence, self-promotion and self-despising, where this umbrella promise does not hang like a rainbow over the dark clouds. So friends, let's get out of the ark. Let's build an altar and worship. And let's follow the bunnies and hop to it as people of this good news. Lord, what an incredible thing it is that you have caught your breath and you've remained true to yourself. In this world of bad news... You are the good news. You are sovereign and you rule, and you have made a promise to the earth, to every living creature, that you are for life. Oh God, wherever we have believed the opposite is true, we repent, we're sorry. Oh God, wherever we have acted and looked upon other people as if the opposite is true, we repent, we're sorry. You are for life. Make us a people of this good news. Thank you, Jesus, that you came as the fulfillment of this and that you are the resurrection and the life and that you promise abundant life to us. Thank you. We worship you. We build an altar. We raise our hands and say thank you. Oh, God, open our eyes to be people of life and counter the dark culture of death that wafts over our land, that discards people, that sees people as enemies, that sees some people as expendable, some life as not worthwhile. Oh God, break this power, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. All right, church, as you prepare to go today to be this people of life, to be people of good news, here's the question that we ask you to wrestle with together, build upon together, and then apply in your living with one another. If God is for life, what does this require of us? If God is for life, what does this require of us? God bless you.
3: Hi everyone so glad you're out there several things this time number one the nominations for the board the church board are coming due October 31st the forms are at the church office or with your hub leaders the board is really important for us as members we make up the board and the board helps to guide the path that we are on make sure that we are following where we actually wanna be, what our mission and vision and values are. Secondly, Refresh Ladies have started. They have just done the first session and there's room for some more people. We have a virtual class and an in-person class that meets in the nursery on the cozy couches. If you are still interested and haven't signed up yet, go online, register, get involved. This is a great study on uh, women and looking at the eastern view that was the real way that people saw women at that time. Third, last, we want to bless the hub leaders. We are blessing them by making sure they are well trained to care for you as they lead you on Sunday mornings or whatever day of the week that your hub meets. These people are being trained for the next six weeks and I encourage you that if you haven't become part of a hub yet or maybe you've started one and we don't know about it, we want to help you. We want to support you. Get involved. Be part of a hub. Call us if you need one. Call us if you want training.